This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. The last property peak was in 2011 when total property transaction volumes was 430,000 units, although peak value was more recent in 2022. Meanwhile, the number of overhang units in this country, according to the National Property Information Centre, has declined from the peak overhang of 63,432,000 units. So is the property market recovering or recovered and is this the start of another bull cycle that we last saw 10 years ago? To help us answer that question and more, and where can you make money from this asset class, we are joined by with Amy Wong, Siu Fong, Executive Director of Research and Consultancy, Knight Frank Malaysia, and Sulaiman Akmandi Sahe, Director of Research and Strategic Planning at Rahim & Co. Thank you for joining me this morning. Now, I want to start with your general expectations for 2024 and to keep our conversations focused because otherwise, you know, there's the whole country to talk about. Let's just start with the Klang Valley. Is the outlook positive or are you both more cautious due to external headwinds? Amy, shall I start with you? Uh, morning, Shining. Thank you for having us here. Okay, so if you're talking about whether or not what the outlook sh- would be like, I think perhaps I would look at the nine-month performance. That's all we have for now, uh, nine months of 2023. And the NAPIC nationwide data actually shows that there has been a positive performance for uh, nine months, year on year. Um, actually, for all the sectors, residential, commercial and industrial, they have all charted um, higher transaction volumes and uh, higher transaction values as well. Okay, so you're expecting that momentum to continue into 2024? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. what about you, Sulaiman? Do you have a different view? Thank you very much for having me here today. Pretty much similar view. Uh, it's just that the uh, looking at the picture from a larger angle, mm. the trajectory of uh, recovery actually didn't commence now. Basically, it was commencing in late 2019. Oh. Uh, in late 2019, where the market actually dipped. After the market dipped, after 2015, 2014, um, then it actually plateaued off, or basically trough off in 2018, 2019. Uh, it was supposed to actually go up, but then came COVID, COVID, which actually put everything on hold. And then now, after seeing uh, the pandemic pretty much overcome it uh, effectively, so the market came back. There was a bit of a rebound, very encouraging rebound in 2022. Uh, and then 23 is a bit of a normalisation trend from the 22 growth. Mm. So because of that, it will grow more gradually in 2024, but we're not expecting a super uh, growth in 2022 as what we've seen before. Okay, so I want to take a look at the largest segment, which is, of course, from a transaction perspective, just residential, right? KL saw a total of 9,938 units worth 8.3 billion changing hands in the first three quarters of last year. We also did see an increase in volume by 1.2%, although value was down 7%. There were fewer launches. I think that's the general big picture for the residential sector. But really, it you know, is this sector doing much better and what can we expect then? Right, okay. So those were Clang Valley numbers, right? Yeah. And so, so you, you know, really what sells well? Because we can't generalise, can we sometimes? <laughs> no, you can't. Um, but uh, I was just at a property summit um, last week and um, JPPH actually presented some data on the ninth month for 2023 where they said that the highest number of residential t- transactions took place in Selangor, mm. Johor and Perak. Para, okay. Yes, which was quite interesting for me. 
And I think overall in Malaysia, because transaction volumes and values have gone up, I think that's a very good trajectory that we're looking at. Uh, but like Sulaiman mentioned, it's positive growth, uh, but it may not actually like boom. Okay, so mm. but what sells well, Amy? Let's look at it. Is it landed? Is it condominiums? Is it service? What's doing well now? The terrace houses have actually noted a price increase of about 1% in terms of its uh, price index. But the rest of the high-rise, high-rise has seen a dip of about 1%, mm. detached houses and semi-Ds as well. Okay, and Sulaima, do you have a different picture in terms of the residential uh, sector outlook then? In a nutshell, the market is more polarised today. Okay, what do you mean by that? It is very much um, segmentised different between different regions, even within Klang Valley, mm. and between different asset classes. So you can see generally the main staple would be the terrace houses, would be the, the landed properties. But on top of that being still the mainstay in terms mm. of preference, condominiums and service apartments are also making its way. People are now starting to uh, accept um, condominium and service apartment, communal living. It's, it, it's coming on as a better acceptance to the market because of its offering, because of one, price affordability, that's one. And number two, uh, that affordable unit, which was deemed to be lacking on certain elements, with these TODs and integrated developments, mm. it's compensated with the other components within the whole development. So it is very much polarised and it depends on the users uh, or the consumers, the, the actual purchasers, those who actually are coming in to buy their first home uh, units, which would actually have certain preferences. Upgraders mm. would have different preferences and it depends also on their... Um, uh, demographics profiling. Okay, I'm going to put a difficult question in front of you. But mm. what doesn't sell? Is it still high-rise, expensive condominiums in KL? Mm. Because the, I do understand there's cumulative supply of 79,000 units. Is that the, is that problem still persisting? Or, yes, or, or, the high-end bracket, the, the, amongst, amongst those who are actually selling well, are still, conf uh, the caveat is still on it being affordable. Mm. Uh, if it's going above 500,000, you can see a bit a lesser number of transactions. The above 750,000, above 1 million ringgit, you can see the number of uh, transactions have actually, it's, it's much lower. However, on the super high-end units, the above 1 million units, because you can see in Klangwede especially, the above 1 million ringgit property is not really that super luxury in terms of landed property. Mm. Uh, so you can see there's uh, new money coming in, basically, if you, li if you like. People are coming in and uh, second generation buyers who are reinvesting, as well as this syndrome of empty nesters, where people cashing in on their larger units and actually coming back and, and buy alternative properties. So yes, it's going to be... Polarizes the word, I would say. Uh, shall we shift to industrial? Sulaiman, question for you. It was such a hot sector, especially logistics on the back of the growth of e-commerce, especially during the pandemic, right? But yeah. will that momentum continue this year? We do see GDP's growth slowing to 4 to 5% this year, whilst we read headlines that the likes of Lazada are laying off employees. So are the good times over for this sector? Yes. To answer this question, I have to actually just qualify myself a bit. Mm. Uh, it is actually a darling of, of the property sector. Yes, it is true. It has been so, especially with the e-commerce boom uh, brought over by, by the pandemic, lockdown and whatnot. But we see now, 
in the past couple of years or the past three years, most of the newer developments, newer township developments, would actually have an industrial element in it. So now we're having too much supply then? That is the fear. That is the fear. It is not to say that it's not going to be the, a good sector anymore because our economy still is driven by these manufacturing sectors, mm. by the logistics sectors. And even saying that, people are talking about logistics is one, but logistics is actually one angle to move the goods. But there's also the manufacturing sectors to produce the goods. That's another sector that people, sometimes they forget about that. Uh, but these two uh, would actually work hand in hand. E-commerce will still move forward. Data center is another need because of the ICT technology and whatnot. There'll be strong demand for that, although the barrier of entry is much higher because of the requirements. But it will still be a strong sector. It will still be uh, looked at very keenly, mm. although we see there's movement towards niche segments within the industrial sector. It is no longer coming up with uh, industrial units that are cookie-cutter units, okay. the standard units. Okay. Yeah. Amy, do you have a different perspective? I think um, Sliman is right. In terms of built-to-suit sector, I think that would actually work very well for the manufacturing occupiers who do make up a large segment of our industrial portfolios in the country. Mm. Um, I think another thing to look at, you mentioned earlier about logistics, right? And the fact that Lazada was downscaling and stuff. But I think that what we have to look at is the greater digital economy. There is the fact that the digital economy, without a doubt, will grow. And it's expected to grow to almost uh, to make up almost 25% of our GDP by 2040, if I'm not mistaken. So with that, with that growth, if you're looking at that long term, it would mean that uh, logistics will continue to be in demand, as well as the type of facilities that they, they will provide, the, the good quality facilities that are required for this kind of digital economy. Okay, so it looks like the long-term trend is still a positive one. But one segment where I think the long-term trend might be a little bit less positive, maybe commercial, I think. Could it have the haziest outlook, uh, especially when you think about Clang Valley? Supply stands at 121.9 million square feet. You see these average occupancy rates, rather stable, 79% across the industry. But I think there's going to be some significant size office blocks coming on stream. Falkar Tower, we've of course got the Exchange TRX office by Land Lease. Medeca 118 with additional 1.7 million, 1 million square feet. Okay, they have an anchor tenant. But when you have just so much additional space, won't there be the hollowing out of older buildings, Sulaiman? The office sector has been challenging and it is expected to be challenging still. Uh, as you actually rightfully pointed out, even with the, well, I guess, normalisation in terms of demand coming back, but there's this incoming supply. There's a huge influx of incoming mm. supply still there. It, it is still there and it's still not yet over. Yeah, not all being absorbed, right? Yes, yes. And the occupancy rate have actually improved slightly, yes. But if you look into the overall trend of occupancy rate, it has been on a declining trend. The question now is, what is the new norm of an acceptable occupancy rate? Okay. Do you have an answer for that? Um, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the $1 million <laughs> question. Because it depends on the actual occupants, the owners of the building, who would actually have sufficient number of uh, tenancies mm. to actually make their ends meet, to actually get some, some returns. Because it is a weightage between the capital costs of yep. 
building or even buying the property and the returns that it actually has. So do you know what is the acceptable level of yield? You know, in the past, maybe you can get anything above 6, 7, 8%, but are they still going to be able to get that? Or, or are those days long in, gone? In our, in our, in our recent uh, analysis that we did, um, yeah, the six percent is now below six percent. Okay. It is now below six <laughs> percent. What does this then mean for for rents, uh, Amy? Because in KLCD, if we look at Grade A offices, I think the range was about what six ringgit fifty cents yeah. per square foot. That was the second half, right? Yeah. Do you see that coming under pressure, and is it really a tenants' market? Uh, it has been a tenant's market for as long as I can remember in KL. <laughs> um, <laughs> so go out there and bargain if you're if you're looking for office space, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. I guess that's what the landlords would also say. I, I think that's the situation that they're dealing with right now. Um, but what we are seeing um, is that there is a positive trend for KL fringe areas. These KL fringe areas will be like your Bangsa, KL Central, Mid Valley locations, which are very close to transport hubs, to yeah. train stations. And um, being good quality new buildings, uh, they tend to attract tenants. Have uh, usually have this MS, MSC status, right? Usually, yes. Um, good specifications caters for hybrid working, the likes. So the the rents there are seeing a bit of stability, uh, and occupancy rates are also stronger in the KL fringe areas. Of course, you will see like in KL city area where we have the recent completion of one one eight, because such a big building is entering the market. So of course, the average occupancy rate would would fall because it's a new building, mm. right? So fair empty for now. On the breakfast grill this morning is our property outlook panel consisting of Amy Wong Sufong, Executive Director of Research and Consultancy at Knight Frank Malaysia, and Sulaiman Akmadi Saheh, Director of Research and Strategic Planning at Rahim and Co. After the break, can real money be made from this asset class anymore? BFM 89.9. You are listening to the Breakfast Grill. Brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Breakfast Grill when the hot seats for a 2024 property outlook are Amy Wong Sufong, Executive Director of Research and Consultancy, Knight Frank Malaysia and Sulaiman Akmandi Sahir, Director of Research and Strategic Planning at Rahim & Co. Before the break, which sector will do better this year? Now, earlier on, we really focused on Klang Valley. But the sudden boom or talk of boom in Johor, I think we just cannot ignore it, right? I mean, the equity market certainly picked up on this with the KL property index appreciating by 34% last year versus a broad market decline of 3%. So will the rapid transit system, the potential high-speed rail and the special economic zone in the forest city be that much-needed catalyst for a state which honestly was in a bit of a property doldrum. Amy, can we start with you, please? I have always believed in the Johor story. So you're a Johor bull. Never, you've always been one. Uh, yes, I have always believed in it. Of course, the high-speed rail about 10 years back. <laughs> that story brought the limelight to Johor. But right now, it's a different story in terms of the RTS. The RTS mm. is actually being built. You can see the spans. And of course, last week we saw the Prime Ministers coming together. And you can see it actually physically being built. It is coming and... It's no longer a concept. 
yes, I am glad I'm actually seeing this in our lifetime, actually. And I, th- I do think that, um, for lack of a better word, it is a game changer. It will, be, it will make a difference to the landscape in Johor, without a doubt. Okay. And mm. um, Sulaiman, are you equally as uh, positive as Amy about Johor? No, it's not hype. You think it's yeah. real? I always believe that the Johor story, it's supposed to be a marathon and not a sprint. Okay, but we seem to have stops and starts, right? There's Correct. certain times you see, oh, a lot of transactions happening, prices jumping, and then after that, dead for a long time. Yeah. So is that trend going to continue? Pickup is actually expected. It has all the uh, essential ingredients for it to actually boom, or not to say boom, to actually grow and regenerate itself mm. again. But... In terms of how the Joho storyline was supposed to be unfold, it's supposed to be an economic play. It was supposed to be actually an economic cluster or node of economic activities. Then comes all the real estate elements to support those needs. But in the case of Joho, how it actually happened before, there's that initial boost of economy, but then the property play came in very fast, very quickly, mm. which created the oversupply. Okay, but then, you know, all of us have seen those videos, right, of Forest City, <laughs> like a ghost town, like almost a, a, a movie scene. With that in mind, it is hard for someone that's in the Klang Valley to not think that this is just all hype. And really, how are we going to see prices really appreciate when there are thousands of units in darkness? So, Amy... What's the situation? Does that oversupply, the overhang need to be cleared out first though? My opinion is that Forest City is not JB City Centre. Okay. So I'd say that the growth is in JB City Centre and the story for Johor has always also been the connectivity with Singapore. And the fact that the RTS is coming in, that connectivity Mm. question is being addressed. Mm. Um, So I think that it's not so much Forest City's another zone, I would say. And doesn't it weigh down the sector? Because the statistics also do tell us that there are something like 13,366 uh, service apartments not sold. That's the overhang. And that's actually almost 60% of the total overhang nationwide. Till we clear that stock, can property prices in Johor really move up? Sulaiman, what do you think? That's what Amy said. The Forest City zone is actually a bit off from JB City Centre. It's actually just to the north or west, to the west of Iskandaputri. The growth will is actually expected in the Johor City Centre as well as Iskandaputri because that's where the cluster of economies and injections mm. are. How it actually happened with uh, Forest City was because of uh, a main developer, giant in property development, came into the, who's our facing shores. financial crisis yes. in China, but never mind. And actually, putting putting that injection in, in terms of where it is right now, yes, I do agree. It does paint a bleaker picture when a person from another country were to come, or oh, even from and, another and, state. Yeah, yeah, to actually see that the state of how Forest City is today. That forcity is one angle. To clear out the Johor storyline, they have to actually focus on the growth areas. Mm. So that's where the regeneration of interest is towards the one that has the stronger fundamentals, if you like. The one that actually in touch with the organic growth, with local demand as well as investors across the causeway is another, which is more preferring those units that are closer to the existing towns, if you like. Okay. And um, I've got some philosophical questions for you all because our, our listeners would like to know, what do you say to those who, who rather rent and then buy? 
because rent is so cheap in Malaysia. As we know, property yield in this country, especially for landed, is very low. I'm talking like less than 3%. So it doesn't make sense, right, for you to go and take a housing loan and pay much more. Is is that really true? I mean, I, I know y'all are buyers, y'all are in the properties business, you want every, more transactions. But what do the numbers actually tell us, Amy? I think for residential, landed residential property, it's about the long game. It's the capital appreciation that you're looking at at the end of your investment period. Uh, not so much the rents. But then for some people, if they do the maths, they think, I'll just rent, you know, why, why would I want to buy? And why not? Okay, so there's, you are not a big believer if the maths work for you. Uh, otherwise, there's no market for investors. <laughs> okay. What about you, Sulaiman? Today, we can see some of my friends are believers that real estate are not the best vehicle. Okay, it's no longer the mantra where that's the first big asset you buy when you, fin- when you start working. Yes, because it would depend on the actual asset. Where is it? Because there's so many other angles to a to a real estate today as how it was uh, as opposed to how it was 20, 30 years ago or even 40 years ago, almost all new real estate developments are located in a very good location, growing location. Mm. But today, the new products are coming in. It's not even within the suburban area. So that element of uh, competition between these units Mm. is very, very strong. That's between townships. And within the same township itself, because of higher plot ratio, higher density, there's a a lot of competition even between your development itself or even within your condominium unit. If you imagine if you were to actually buy a unit before, a typical condominium development would actually have 200 units. So you're basically competing with another 199 units. But now with condominium units coming in with 1,000 units, you're you're, you're basically competing against 999 Mm. units. So that's where the competition becomes very, very fierce. And that's where you can see rentals become more competitive. Which then begs the question, can you then make money from this asset class? Be it... You can still. I mean, okay, we just heard that from commercial yields have come down. Industrial, the long-term game is there, yes. But what about residential? Some people used to treat it like an investment. Is Is it still an investment, Amy? Yes, I believe it is. Even though prices may remain flat because you've got just so much more supply coming on stream, so much more competition. Is it down to picking the right property and the right location? That is one of it. The other thing I think I mentioned earlier, it was landed residential, but I think for high-rise residential, mm. especially those which are located on at, along the train line or at train stations, they are already sold at very high prices. So expecting capital appreciation within the 5-10 year time frame mm. may not be so feasible. Instead, what you would get is a rental market. And you may be able to demand slightly higher rentals if you are located at a train station. Okay, what about your thoughts on this? I agree. The TOD model is actually a very attractive model. It makes it easier for people to rent a property there and then move about uh, within the city centre. So that makes it high in demand for that. Mm. So um, there still is money to be made. There is still. You rightfully actually highlighted a term that I want to say here is heterogeneity. Mm. It's heterogeneous. You can't just make a blanket uh, remark in terms of property is no longer in because there are units that are good and there are units that are bad. You have to actually look at the units individually, if you like. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot, you know. Um, and maybe some listeners would like to know, for a first-time home buyer with a budget of, let's say, 500000 to a million, a young couple, where and what should they buy in the Klang Valley? Don't worry, we won't hold you against that for the rest of your life, but just give us your views. My view has always been the same for the past 10 years. 
follow the train lines. Follow the train lines. You, Sulaiman, what, what, can, what should a young person look out for? What should they buy? After them looking at their own financial position and their actual needs, then they actually have to make the decision. Because the TOD developments along the train lines is, uh, is good. But there are certain, certain, certain markets appreciate the distance from the bustling area. So they do prefer places where it's a bit further from train lines. They, mm. they, they, they want to actually have that drive, space. that extra yeah, space, the individuality. So you can see areas where it is not well served by train lines, but still doing well because the market is actually different there. Because those people... So some people do enjoy that half an hour drive home. Yeah, and maybe the community living. Yes. Right? Yeah. On that note, thank you for your time today. On the Property Outlook Breakfast Grill was Amy Wong Sufong, Executive Director of Research and Consultancy, Knight Frank Malaysia, and Sulaiman Akbandi Sahi, Director of Research and Strategic Planning at Rahim & Co. I'm Wong Xiaoning, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.